Fantastic. Okay, if we've got our Bibles, please can we turn. We're going to get into this really quickly. Uh, John chapter 15. Um, we're going to talk about um, context today and maybe some different ways of looking at things. Um, because if uh, Mark's right, which I'm sure he is, which is God's going to do something new at the church, then that doesn't happen just because God just goes and goes, you know, think, you know what, I'm really fickle, think today I'm going to do something special. It's in response to something we do. We feel differently about God, we think differently about God, uh, we see things differently. So we're going to look at some different ways of looking at things today. Now, one of the things I thought about, how do I start this off? Well, you know, often you've heard the whole cliche, haven't you, that, um, you know, you know, you're not a Christian just because you've got the title, because you come to church. And it's true. Uh, titles don't particularly make us anything, you know. Uh, like uh, Pastor Mark introduced me. So we've got Pastor Mark and Kristen. And when I look at Mark, I think, yeah, he's a pastor. Pastor cares. He's bought me at least three meals, okay. So he knows that the way to a man's soul is through his stomach. He's a pastor. Kristen, not so sure about, okay. For reasons I'll explain, okay. A few months ago... Kristen got up here and abused the pulpit by abusing me. And this is how she did it, okay? She got up, alright, and she wanted to get people to go and see Paul, okay, who normally sits over there, because Paul uh, was running something. And she had a problem. You could see what was going on in her mind. Okay, there's two Pauls. I need to make sure they understand it's that Paul, not that Paul. So she could have said, you know, well, um, it's not the pole on the right, it's the pole on the left, but of course you're facing this way, so that's not going to work. So she's thinking, oh, that's not going to work. Well, maybe Paul who does the media, that w- yeah, but no, I need someone that would put all doubt out of which Paul is. I know, I'll call him Handsome Paul. <laughs> what does that mean, me? <laughs> Handsome Paul, not Paul the dog. That's basically what you said, isn't it? Paul, not Rover, is basically what you said. So Christian the pastor, I'm not so sure, okay? So we're gonna look at we're gonna look at some different ways of looking at some different things. So let's turn, let's look at this verse. Uh, John fifteen uh, says this. Uh, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead I have called you friends. So why does Jesus call us friends? He calls people friends who know his business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. He wants to call us friends. It seems there were certain people that Jesus didn't call friends, he called them servants. But there are some of us who ironically serve with him, who know his business, he calls friends. So what does his business look like? I'm just going to show you this picture. Uh, many, many years ago, the people who were kind of really affecting America were the railroad barons. They were wealthy, they were influential. Uh, what they did shaped, I guess, the way America is. You know, it, it shaped the way certain cities were, etc., etc. And then somebody decided to invent something. And this next picture is a picture of the first ever production car, apparently. Okay, this is a Harry, uh, one of Henry Ford's apparently first ever production cars. And what happened, history tells us, is that the railroad barons all met together and asked the question, what do we do about the car? And the answer they came to, apparently, was this. Nothing. We're not in the car business, we're in the train business. So you fast forward a hundred or so years, and now the railroad barons are that influential, they are that relevant, and they're not shaping America anymore. And the question 
we could ask is what if they had come up with a different answer? What if they had asked the question, what business are we in? And came up with the answer, not we're in the railroad business, but we're in the transportation business. What business is the church in? Is it in the business of making meetings? What is the business of the church? Now, I don't know if you, how many of you tweet? Anybody tweets? About a f- oh, four of us. Okay, so tweet is a way that you can connect with other people via the internet. And I follow certain people. So whenever they're thinking something or they want to mention something, uh, it immediately comes to me. So I follow, uh, I think I follow, there's a politician, there's a, a business entrepreneur. It's mainly friends. I follow Bono, follow a couple of authors. And... Uh, one of the people I follow is this person. If you can put this uh, next picture up, please, Austin. And this was a young woman who was on CNN. And she went on during the whole uh, Egyptian crisis. So, uh, which I guess is still carrying on to some extent. So, uh, you know, all CNN was there and Fox were covering it. But then suddenly they brought these people on who were in the square, to hear square, I think it's called. And, and this woman was going to, uh, she was on TV via satellite. And then she went back into the square. And I thought, I don't need the spin of CNN or the spin of Fox I can just find out what's actually going in I was watching her tweets and these aren't from the days I'm thinking of but they were fascinating I'm listening to this woman and every couple of hours she's saying we're all in the square we think we can change our nation people are coming in we're sharing food everybody's sharing their possessions oh, one guy's gone one guy's been taken please pray for him we don't know where he's gone we think they put him in jail we're praying for him to be rescued and I'm thinking, this sounds a little bit like the other church. Yeah, right. And then this guy comes on, and he was a, a Google exec. And uh, if you could put the picture on, Austin, that'd be great. Uh, and this guy came on, I think he went to jail, and he was pulled out. And on national TV, very heroically, he basically uh, says, you know what, you've been told a lie. The people who are causing the problem, are the foreigners, it's uh, some of Mubarak's henchmen. And, and whatever he was doing, he was very, very brave. And I'm thinking, this reminds me a little bit of like some of the disciples, you know, getting up there and saying stuff, being put in jail, coming out of jail and saying the same thing. And I'm thinking, wow. And then I started comparing those tweets to the tweets of some of my best friends who are church leaders in Europe. And their tweets were things like, we had a great meeting on Sunday. We had a record number of people come into our church. We had a great atmosphere. And I'm thinking, they don't sound like revolutionaries, they sound like professional party planners. <laughs> so the question is, what is the business of the church? What is the business of the church? Is it what we think? Just because we call ourselves the church, so we're a big C, not just our church, are we doing the Father's business? Or are we professional party planners? What is the business of the church? Um, I want to show you a video because uh, this is something we're involved just to give you context. This is a video that was out this week um, on YouTube. It was a video of teachers in the UK who have pays teams. I just want to make a point of this in a minute. So if we can show that video, that would be great, Aston. Thank you. Working together with the PACE project has been really successful for us here at Life Church. We're really thrilled at being able to connect and partner with other churches across Lancashire and really feel that we're making a difference. I've learned and grown more as a person in my, uh, I've got a deeper understanding of my experience of God um, and I'm better able to communicate that to the young people that I work with. 
been absolutely wonderful. It's a terrific experience for them, but it brings so much to our pupils too. I actually had a prolonged illness, so they started to come in and do my assembly slots, uh, which has obviously been of a different kind, uh, perhaps a little bit more evangelistic, and kids have come to faith through that. I mean, we've been proclaiming the gospel in this school for years and years and years, but say just in the last two and a half weeks, uh, we've had about 20 kids who've uh, professed faith in the Lord Jesus for the first time, and that's the best kind of impact that there is. It's the greatest joy to see kids come and, uh, and pray with us and, and call on the name of the Lord to be saved. You bring a sort of um, a different dimension and look at faith from a different angle. Uh, I think it really makes them think and question in a way that is different from what I can do as a chaplain every day um, because you come in fresh and new and you just come with this life and enthusiasm which um, only I think can happen from an outside group coming in. has been uh, a brilliant addition to our school in terms of taking some of our most deprived students and we've got a lot of deprived students in this in this academy and taking them dealing with real life issues talk to them about things that are important to them things that they might not have even had a chance to talk to anybody about Context of what we're going to talk about over the next few minutes because um, Lake House Church, if you don't know, has become the spiritual home of the global team uh, directors and the Page USA directors. So we know that the church is massively behind what we're doing and we're partnering together. But it leaves me a question. This week I, uh, I, got, I spoke to the Page GB directors who said they, they just found out, I think it was yesterday or the day before yesterday, that in one of their schools, um, when they did an assembly, uh, one of the teachers asked permission of the headmaster if they could do an appeal and in the appeal 114 students responded by coming out and saying they wanted to follow Jesus two of them were teachers and the first person was the headmaster which is bizarre and then somebody put as a comment on my Facebook when I blogged that somebody put a, a comment saying well that's amazing I wonder what 114 Christian young people will do in a school which is a brilliant thought, but it begs the question, what were they really responding to? What does born again actually mean? Let's just read, let's just open our Bibles to, um, um, yeah, sorry, John 3. And we're going to read uh, this, this, this phrase. I'm sure you've all heard the phrase born again. I want to look at an alternative view to understand what that actually means quickly. It says this, now there was a, pa- a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. 
He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with them. Jesus replied, Very truly I say to you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he be born again. How can someone be born again when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Now I've had a lot of misconceptions about this passage for a long, long time. The first is that I thought Jesus invented the term born again. And the second is that I thought it was the phrase born again that freaked Nicodemus out. But he didn't and it wasn't. Uh, The term born again was very, very well known in the world of Jesus. In fact, you can be born again in six ways. Uh, Born again or being reborn happened in six different ways. Uh, From the most extreme, when you were ordained a king, you were born again. Uh, When you became a Jew, converted to uh, Judaism, you were born again. When you were married, you were born again. Uh, When you became a rabbi, you were born again. When you headed up a rabbinic school, you went through a ceremony and you were born again. There were six. Every one of them were a ritual or ceremony of some type. Ordination, uh, uh, coronation, consummation. So Nicodemus was not freaked out by the phrase born again because it was a really common phrase. Very, very common phrase. But of course Nicodemus couldn't do any of those things. He was too old. What was left? to go back into his mother's womb and start all again what was it about this phrase it wasn't such the phrase it was the fact that being born again of the water and the spirit one of the things I worry about is have we just created ceremony number seven come forward put your hands up in the air is that just another ceremony what was the father's business what has he come to do in our lives What has he come to do through us in our world? What is Jesus on about? Jesus never came to rip apart any ceremony. Jesus didn't really get rid of any ceremonies, really, not many. He didn't really add many ceremonies, did he, or rituals. What he came to do was help us see the spirit behind them. The spirit behind the things that we believed in. The spirit behind the things that we did. Jesus came and said, I've not come to destroy the law, I've come to fulfill it. I've come to show you what it really means to follow God. So for the remaining 20 minutes, what I want to do is I want to look at what was on Jesus' heart. I want to look at what I think is the business of Jesus and therefore the business that Jesus is inviting you and me into. So we're not just servants who wander around just serving God but we're actively involved in the Father's business and he calls us friends. Now um, we're going to look at the passage and the way the passage we're going to look at is the one where he sends out his friends, he sends out his disciples to do the things that he did. I'm going to break that down and look at it. So let's just turn, we're going to turn to one more chapter. And we're going to turn into Luke, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 10. It's, uh, it's uh, 11 verses, and I want you to follow them with me in your Bibles rather than putting them up on the screen, because I want you to be thinking through these verses. It says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others, and that whole number is really interesting, but we don't have to go with time into it. If, you, if you're interested enough to see me afterwards, I'll explain why 72. 
and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, I will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they gave you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you, heal the sick who are there, and tell them the kingdom of God is here. Sorry, is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we will wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. There are lots and lots of things we could talk about from that passage that we're just simply not going to get the time to talk about. But I encourage you to study it. Uh, we on page have broken that passage down into four words because we're a bit thick and it helps us. Okay, And the first word is spread. The first word is spread. If we can pull that up, that'd be great. Spread the word. Go to as many places. Go to all the villages. Don't pick and choose. And just share the word. Now, uh, Pays is in Lee's nations. We're in a few nations already at the moment. Can we pull that up, Austin? Uh, these are the nations we're in. Uh, these are the nations we're hoping to go in. Next. And uh, one of the reasons we go into schools is because of this fact that's going to come up on the screen. It's said by the Institute, uh, International Bible Study that 83% of all Christians made their commitment to Christ between the ages of 4 and 40. So it's not brain surgery. Schools is a great place to go to reach people and help them understand about Jesus. Spread the word. Don't want to spend much time on that. The fact is Jesus didn't go and say, hey, go and invite them into the synagogue. That's not what he said. He said, go and reach them. Second thing is this word, spot. When you enter a house, first say, uh, peace this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Now here's where we start getting a bit challenged. Because, I don't know about you, but I've been brought up since I was, I became a Christian when I was 14. And there's certain traditions and ideas and philosophies that I have in my head. And I've been challenged over recent years as I've stood in my Bible about the way Jesus did things and the way I've been brought up to do things. And just the way I think about Jesus. Maybe it was never said to me, I just thought about Jesus. And I want to challenge at least something I thought if you didn't. So I'm going to do this by the form of a diagram. Okay, if we could pull the first slide, that would be great. Okay, anybody would like to guess what the letter J stands for? Joel, Joel no. <laughs> Jesus, yes. And Jesus uh, is the person, not Joel, okay? Joel thinks he's Jesus, but he's not. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, J- Jesus, okay. And uh, I think there should be some, there we go, some arrows as well. Those arrows represent people. Some are coming towards Jesus, some are going away from Jesus, yeah? Okay, next slide, please. In this next slide, what you've got is you've got um, Jesus, you've got the arrows, you might want to press it one more time, and also you've got a black circle, uh, if we can press it one more time, I think that happened. And the black circle represents church, okay? So if you notice, there are some people in church who are coming to Jesus, but there are some people who aren't really coming to Jesus. The bigger the church, quite often, more likely that is true, but it's true of any church. If you also notice, outside of the church... You've got people who are going away from Jesus, but you've also got people who want to know about Jesus, yeah? yeah? Now, what we tend to do, and when I say we, I'm talking about the Christian world, 
what we tend to do is we tend to put all our energy inside the black circle all our energy tends to be inside the black circle where did Jesus invest his time? did he? you see that's the mistake we think oh it's outside the black circle we, we love that black and white idea don't we oh, oh he went to the sinners not the religious people it's nonsense Nicodemus was a religious people Nicodemus was the top guy of the team of leaders who decided how followers of Jesus would, uh, followers of God would live part of the Sanhedrin they made up the rules they decided stuff Jesus spent all night with him so it's not as simple as he loved the sinners he hated the religious it's nonsense it's just not true this is what's true. This is where Jesus spent all his time. You might want to just keep pressing it because I didn't realise there was animation on that. I'm sorry. One more time, Austin. Keep going. That's where Jesus spent all his time. Jesus invested in anybody, inside or out, who was coming towards him. He never chased anybody. Jesus said, spread the word, spot those who are leaning forward, and invest like crazy in them and they will change the world now think about that the reason most of you are here is because you have been at least one time if not now people of peace you were in a meeting probably and an appeal was went out and you said yes when other people on the road said no you heard a story or a testimony of a friend and you were the friend who said yes and others said no but it's not a moment, it's how we are now. Are we people who are leaning forward? Jesus invests in those people who lean forward. The way I partly discovered this was I was reading um, a Bible one day and it mentioned that suddenly there was a little list of people who got healed and I noticed that none of them, had, had, uh, none of, Jesus didn't walk up to any of them and just heal them. They'd all requested or ripped open a roof or cried out or reached out to Jesus and then I started to look at my Bible and I got all the different miracles I could find in something in time I literally didn't sleep one night and I spent till four in the morning just, just checking this out this is years ago and I noticed uh, this fact that out of the 29 specific cases that were mentioned in the Gospels of Jesus healing somebody or a group every single one of them pretty much was a response of the people leaning forward there were only five other cases. One of them, the person was dead. All right? Three of them Jesus used as an object lesson about the Sabbath. And it's only when you cross-reference, I don't want to go into all the details, but it's only when you cross-reference you realise some, in one gospel you think Jesus went and healed them, but when you read another gospel you realise that the disciples asked him to heal them, for instance. Now what we do is we tend to chase after people who are running away sometimes. Jesus didn't. He just never did it. There are leaders throughout the world who spend all their time investing in people who just want people to just keep looking after them all the time. That's not what Jesus did. The reason we're doing the leadership conference is to try and model ourselves on what Jesus did. Jesus invested. He said, everybody can hear this. But if you lean forward, I'm going to invest in you like crazy. And what we're going to do is train you to be people because you're leaning forward. And we're going to train you, but we're training you to make disciples and be leaders because after spread and spot comes the word stay Jesus said don't jump from house to house don't go somewhere else because you see a better offer but stay with people and disciple them so what does discipleship look like Uh, let me show you this other picture this is a picture of me and me when we first got married Okay, there you go guess what decade that was in (laughs) 
Okay, now when me, me and Lynn got married, uh, when I proposed to Lynn, I was sat, it was the most unromantic thing I'd ever done. I was sat on a washing machine when I told Lynn that I thought it was a good idea that we should get married, okay? It wasn't very good, alright? I know it wasn't very good, but uh, there you go. Okay, there was two think bubbles above us. Now, I came from a family that was very traditional, very conservative, you know, one dad, one mum, two sons, uh, just very, very typical, traditional, conservative, normal kind of family. Lynn came from a family where her dad wasn't there, it was all sisters, okay, I had to go and live there once for nine months when we first got married, they had two bathrooms, I didn't see any of them, alright, I never saw... Okay, there was five women in that house, okay, uh, it was complete and absolute, I don't want to go into the difference, but the dad was, I don't want to go into the details about the dad, but dad wasn't like the best dad and then he left and stuff like that. So when I said to Lynn, will you get married, I said, will you do this? And she said, oh yeah, I'll do this. And she agreed to a totally different thing. And for 23 years, yeah, 23 years, <laughs> approximately, okay, we've been working that out, and it's going to take me another 23 to recover from this, okay? 23 years, we've been working out the differences between those two bubbles. I think when Jesus said to us, hey, go make disciples, we went, right, yes. But I'm going to show you what's in his think bubble, okay? Because this is what happened, this is what discipleship meant in the days of Jesus and the religion of Jesus. Now I'm going to quote partly here from uh, the Bible, but I'm also going to quote from Jewish scripture around that time. Historical documents that help us understand some of the things that Jesus believed about discipleship. Let me just go through, I'm just going to rattle through these to give you a bit of a picture. Okay, so one of the things was said, that your father brings you into the world, but your rabbi brings you into the world to come. Heaven. If a man's father and rabbi are both taken captive, a disciple should ransom his rabbi first. If his father and rabbi are carrying heavy burdens, he removes that of his master and afterwards that of his father. Rabbis uh, would call quite often their disciples sons because it was like a family relationship. If a disciple went to exile, the law was that his rabbi should go with him. So I build up this kind of relationship. This was not go to Starbucks, have a coffee, open the Bible and ask a couple of awkward accountability questions. It was much more deeper than that. All acts, all acts a slave performs for his master, a disciple performs for his rabbi, interestingly, except untying the sandals. That's why John said... I'm not even worthy to. Okay. A rabbi, you're going to love this woman. A rabbi, sorry, a man was allowed to leave his family and leave his house and leave his job and follow a rabbi to learn about the rabbi for up to 30 days without asking his wife's permission. After 30 days, he had to ask his wife's permission. So if you're out, literally you're out, and you're, you're out there and you're harvesting, and a rabbi comes and teaches there, which is more likely than simply teaching in the synagogue, and you think, wow, I've, I've seen this guy a few times, I want to be like him, I want to follow him, without his wife's permission, legally, Jewish law said he could literally get up and he could follow for 30 days, up to 30 days. After 30 days, he had to go and ask his wife if it was okay. And probably get, like, a pat lunch or something, I don't know. Do you realise, well that's what Jesus was saying. 
Now we might not like that, and that might not be the way we're brought up, and that not, might not be my Pentecostal background, or your Baptist background, or your Methodist background, or your Anglican background. That makes no difference, does it? It's what Jesus thought was important. Yeah. Listen to the words of Jesus. He said uh, things like this. Peter told Jesus, we've left everything to follow you. Why? Because Jesus said that's what you had to do. Jesus told his disciples, anyone who loves his father or more, mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yet even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Matthew ten twenty four. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. What we're trying to get out here, the relationship, the investment was huge. And what we love to do is we love to take those verses out of isolation. We like to isolate them out of the context of Jesus and say they're just about me and Jesus. Well, no, I'm sorry, they're not. When Jesus said, go and make disciples, he meant in the same way he made disciples. That's what the, the, the Father's business is. If you're involved in the Father's business, you're making disciples. Coming to church is great, it's good. <laughs> Don't stop coming to church. Worshipping is fantastic. But the Father's business, the business he sent his disciples on, was not go and make some great, great services and meetings. Was go to people, find out people who want to hear the message, spend time with them, invest in them. Don't chase after them. If they don't want to know, that's fine. Invest them. Don't swap for a better option. And eventually, last word, send them out. Send them out. They may go and they may reach the people who weren't wanting to listen to you. That's what we do in schools. We reach young people who, we go and do lessons, we do assemblies, young people come forward, we invest in them, and then hopefully they, and quite often we see this, they go and they go and reach the friends who didn't want to listen to us in the first place. Does that make sense? Spread, spot, stay, send. Why are we doing a course on leadership? It's because to disciple people, you've got to be somebody that people want to follow. And one of the mistakes we say is, well, you know, it's just about people are following Jesus. But the fact is, people follow Jesus in us. That's how it is. That's how they say, when Jesus got made disciples, he said, literally, go and be the kind of people that others are going to want to follow, and they can learn from your life how to follow me. The fact is, in some ways, now understand what I'm saying here, please. We can't be disciples of Jesus in some way, in, in the sense we can't follow Jesus, his body. We can't follow him around and see what he did. Or how did Jesus eat his dinner? How did Jesus do his work? How did Jesus do this? How did he go to work? How did he do carpentry? How did he do stonemasonry? We can't watch him do that. We follow the spirit of Jesus. Born again of water and the spirit. We follow the spirit of Jesus. We follow people as they show us Jesus. We disciple. We need to be disciples of others. Now that might freak you out because you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a leader. I'm not a leader. I can't lead people. I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't know a lot about my Bible. Well, think about the disciples. Who were they? Were they great theologians? No. They just spent time with Jesus. They'd watched Jesus. They'd learned something about Jesus. And the way they grew was by teaching. There's a great, um, I think it's an Arabian proverb that says to teach is to lead twice. It's a brilliant proverb. To teach is to lead twice. To hear, that helps you. To watch helps you. But to teach somebody really helps you understand something. To teach is to lead twice. We can't be churches that are just going around just trying to fix people. 
We have to invest pe- in people who are leaning forward. Now, let me show you one thing. Is what about leadership? Let's talk about that for two minutes before we finish. What about leadership? Are you born a leader or are you not born a leader? Well, let me show you a picture of when I was a, a, a kid. We can show a picture of that, Austin. This is me. Okay. I was goofy for various reasons. Bizarrely, my face wasn't the main reason, okay? So I had goofy hair and I had goofy teeth, okay? We, okay, all right, we understand. Yes, Kristen, Rover. I understand where you got it from now. I know it's okay, I understand, okay? But that wasn't, that wasn't the main reason, okay? This is the main reason oh, I was goofy. Look at this next picture. This is when I was a scout, okay? I was really thin and really, really skinny. I was the only scout in my scout route whose sleeping bag was bigger than he was, okay? As you can see from that. Yeah, oh, I know. It's a, it's a bit of, okay, let me teach you some about leadership. Leadership, and this is what I've learned, leadership is like the one thing you don't see on that body, muscle, okay? Leadership is like a muscle. Some people are born with, you know, they're born with natural, like, muscular bodies, aren't they? Some people are not, okay? The fact is, that's what leadership's like. You may be very thin, you may not have a lot of muscle, but if you exercise it, it will grow. Feel that, Dino? <laughs> Woo! There you go, see, okay? My pecs can dance, do No, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I was too, there was a line, and I went too far. I understand. Okay, so you can exercise your muscle, and you can be strong, okay? But if you, you can be born with natural muscle, but if you go into space, what's going to happen? That muscle is going to waste away. Yeah. Uh, what's the word for atrophy? It's going to waste away. So yeah, you might not be the most natural leader. But if you exercise, if you learn about leadership, you will become somebody people want to follow. I guarantee it. Because Jesus is in you. But you've got to exercise. Now you might be a natural leader, and you might think, I know it all. Well, your leadership quality will eventually diminish. Pride will, pride acts like that. You know, it just diminishes. So we want to encourage you, we want to challenge you to find out what is the Father's business. It is a challenge. I've been a Christian now for almost 30 years. I've been brought up with certain ideas. I've just had these ideas locked into my head. But I know that as Mark has been preaching, I want to see God do something new in my life. I want to see Him do something new and special and spectacular and wonderful. And I know this. Here's one thing I know about Jesus. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just, God's not fickle. One day it's not just, just, poof, I've changed my mind. Now I'm going to do something special through you. There's something in me that's going to have to change. Yeah. I'm going to have to feel about God a different way. Right. I'm going to have to think about God in a different way. Amen. And that's what this course will help us to do, is think and feel about our relationship with God in a different way and begin to grow those leadership muscles if you like Jesus said look I want to call you friends I love you somebody once said this all souls are precious but not all souls are strategic everybody's precious whether you lead people to Jesus or not makes no difference to how much he loves you he loves you as much as he possibly could it's all about the question do you want to be involved in what he's doing on the planet that's all it comes down to. You can be more loved. You can be, you can be more saved in that sense. But you can be more strategic. 
you can be more strategic. I can be more strategic than I am right now. But I have to learn. I have to learn from Mark and from Kristen. I have to learn from Rob and Karen and Lynn and other people I have to learn from. I can grow. I can become more muscular in my strategy and the way I affect people. And last thing I want to finish is we need to pray for Mark and for Kristen and for the other leaders in the church. Because for them, we need to help them invest in the kind of things that Jesus did. He didn't run around chasing people who were just upset all the time. He didn't run around just trying to fix people. We know there's a natural pastoral behind it. He invested in people leaning forward. He built them up. He discipled them. And then he sent them out to fix those and to touch those who, believe it or not, didn't listen to Jesus, but eventually would listen to his disciples. That's a weird thought, isn't it? There were some people when Jesus would walk around and said no. But when his disciples went around, they said yes. Isn't that interesting? Last thought, we'll finish with this. Have you ever noticed that Paul was very, very similar to Jesus and did everything, Paul the Apostle did pretty much everything that Jesus did apart from one thing. So he performed miracles, check. He taught, check. Um, He was a Jew, check. He was a teacher, he he discipled people, check, check. One thing he didn't do very often, as far as we know, as far as we can read, is he didn't tell parables. So when Jesus was painting a picture of the kingdom of God, he paints it with parables Paul doesn't. Do you know why? Because people were his parables. People were his parables. By the time Paul's saved and ministering, people have become Christians. The early church has been born. He can start to point to community and give those as examples. doesn't mean we can't tell parables. It just means he had this extra benefit. We are the parables. We are the examples so often of what the kingdom of God should look like. I find that really encouraging, daunting, but encouraging, don't you? Let's pray, and then Mark's going to come and share just a little bit more. Well, my job this morning was just to uh, teach a little bit about uh, our hearts and our minds, uh, and some of these things are challenging to listen to as we really study. Lord, your word shouldn't be read, it should be studied and understood. And Lord, we, if we miss your context, we miss your point. Lord, I understand that. I want you to know, Lord, I understand that. If I miss your context, I miss your point. Lord, I pray, Lord, you'll help me this morning to really, um, really, Lord, just explain well, Lord. I pray, Lord, as I've done that, Lord, I pray, Lord, you'll help us to really understand, Lord, and to take into our hearts the specific things you want us to. In your name we ask it, Lord. Amen. 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 If you realize that Paul, handsome Paul, smart Paul, this Paul, okay, (laughs) dapper Paul, has put a challenge out to us to truly change not only the way that we see our relationship with Jesus Christ, but really to see our mission and why God created us and why God formed us. And maybe everything that we've been doing all this way and and we've been following all the traditions of church. But you know, several weeks ago I I mentioned to Paul that that the word church was only used like three times throughout the Bible. But the kingdom of God was mentioned so many times, over a hundred and something times. And what do we focus on? Church. Man, we've got to have a bigger building. We've got to do this and that. And really we've got to get into alignment with what God has called us to do. And I've been telling you that I truly believe that something supernatural is about to happen. 
not only in our lives, but in the body of Christ. For everyone who is wanting to know more about God, who is hungry for more of God. You know, when I was worshiping today, and and Norman even came and and prayed with me on, on my knees, I was saying, God, just have us to be so much so much more hunger for you than anything that this world has to offer. Because there are so many things out there that will draw our attention and will draw our hunger and our thirst. And we'll, we'll strive after that. Oh, I want to be more this and I want to be more than that. And what God has called us to be is who He created us to be and to fulfill the plan and the purpose that He created us for. And over the next five or six weeks on Tuesday night we are going to be gathering and looking at the true calling of our lives and it may be really surprising to you on everything that you put priority in was not a priority with God but we do know that a priority is having a relationship with the Son Jesus Christ and that's why I give an opportunity to lead everyone in prayer because as, as, as Paul puts this into our, our website, we, we get comments that our message is being heard all over the world and all over this country. I have no idea how they get connected, but they do. And I want to always give them an opportunity to make the very most important decision they'll ever make in their life. And it's not about who you're going to marry or what school you're going to attend or what position you're going to take, but it's where you're going to spend eternity. Because when we look at life, life is a vapor. And eternity is forever. And it's during this time that we really have the opportunity to find out more about God through faith. Because once we are in heaven, everything will be revealed to us. You realize there will be no, you won't need faith in heaven. Everything will be revealed. But I think that there will be such a reward for those people who were able to see spiritually instead of having to be seeing everything physically. I have my, my spiritual eyes. That's why I love that song, Hosanna. It says, open my eyes to the things that are unseen. And if the supernatural thing that God wants to do is just to open our eyes so that we see things the way God sees things, then that will radically change this world. It will radically change your family, your workplace, your school place, your relationships. But the very first step in knowing more about God is receiving His Son and understanding that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. You know, when I give this opportunity, it's not really about you. It's about what He did. And Jesus Christ died on a cross for us and on that cross took our sin and our shame, our sickness, and became the ultimate perfect sacrifice for that. And if the story would have ended there, it would have then equaled every other religion that is being offered to you today. But only Christianity has that we have a risen Savior who came out of that grave with the keys of death and was witnessed by hundreds of people that have documented that the man they saw crucified was now walking around man if you really grasp that because Chris and I were just talking next Sunday is Palm Sunday Hosanna to the King and then the following Sunday we know is Easter 
start studying up on that whole passage. There's a little head start of what we're going to be talking about in the next two weeks. But today I want to give you an opportunity to, to make the very most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, my goal is not to embarrass you. My goal is to speak to your heart right now. And there may have been something that Paul shared today that just said, you know what, I don't think my priorities are in alignment with God. Several weeks ago I preached a message on how we walk with God and some of you are walking on the opposite side of the road. Are you walking in the direction with God? Yes, somewhat. But are you walking beside Him? Are you walking where you can hear His voice and hear His calling? And that's what I want to talk to you today about. I want to give you an opportunity to say a very simple prayer. But if you will say that prayer and you will mean it and receive Jesus Christ not only as your Savior but as your Lord, then the whole journey begins. Experiencing peace like you've never encountered before. Experiencing hope when everyone else is hopeless. Experiencing a joy when everyone else is in despair. Having a hope that when the doctors give you a bad report, you have a higher position that you can call upon. That is where our hope and our trust lies in our relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And I want to share that with you today. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, would you just as a group repeat this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. And I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and I am saved. Amen. Now that we've taken care of the groundwork, now we'd like to teach you more about this Savior. Who was Jesus Christ? How was His ministry different than the ministries we see on TV today? Wow, that'd be a great series. But I want to encourage you, even if you have not been out to join us, men need to get together. i got to tell you this. This has always been a hard passion of mine. Women do great at getting together for tea. Men, you know, we like to throw big balls at pins and call bowling. But we need to get together every once in a while. And we need accountability. And as iron is sharpening iron, you need men in your life that can challenge you and encourage you and you can encourage you and sometimes just be with you when you need a friend and that's what happens on Tuesday nights so I'd like to invite you if you'd love to know more about what Paul's going to be teaching over the next five or six weeks come out on a Tuesday night join us you are more than welcome to be with us I'd like to close today as we always do with a blessing so if y'all could stand And may the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. Go in His peace. God bless you guys. We love you. Thanks for coming.